You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, good morning, City Church. My name is Jay Gaxon. I'm the student director here. And uh, before we begin, uh, someone told me there was just a pretty bad wreck on Monroe. I just want to pray for that before we start. So if you pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we ask that you would be with everybody involved uh, with the car accident on Monroe. Lord, that you would keep people safe. Um, Lord, that you would just be over that, bring peace, uh, security, and just order to whatever's going on. And God, we just ask that you would uh, uh, fix that situation. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, my name is Jay Gaxon. I'm the student director here. If this is your first time, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Um, Dean was supposed to be preaching this morning, uh, but he got sick last minute, and I was asked to fill in. So if you were uh, looking forward to Dean this morning, I'm sorry. Uh, the last four weeks we've been looking at Acts 17, we've been seeing Paul going to battle with the people in Athens uh, in the Areopagus. Uh, what he's done is Paul has walked through this city in Athens and he has become distressed. If you remember, he's distressed because what he sees is a city built on idols. He sees a city whose entire culture is built around false gods. If you remember, there's 30,000 people in this city. I'm sorry, 30,000 gods in this city and only 10,000 people. Okay? And so as Paul's walking through this idol-ridden city, he comes upon an altar that says, an altar to the unknown god. Okay? As in, we have all these gods. We have the god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of nature, the god of life, the god of fertility. Just in case we missed one, the people in Athens built an altar as a catch-all altar to say, just in case we missed one of the gods, here's the altar to the unknown god. And so Paul walks into the Areopagus, which is where all the, the wise, smart philosophers in Athens gather all day. They do nothing but talk about and learn new things. And they would discuss all these gods. Paul stands right in the center of this group of men and women, and he stands and says, I've seen the statue to your unknown God, and I stand before you today to tell you I know the unknown God. In fact, the unknown God has made himself known, and he isn't a statue. He doesn't live in houses made by human hands. He's not just the God of the sun or the God of the moon or the God of nature. No, he is the God of everything. Jesus Christ is the unknown God made known, who has revealed himself to us as the only God, and he has given us everything that we have in this life. This is the message Paul preaches before this council. And we see the response. Some ridiculed, some were curious, and some believed. And it's from this that we enter Acts 18, where we're going to be this morning. And in Acts 18, we see a drastically different environment. Paul leaves Athens, what you could call the most religious city in the world at the time. And he goes to Corinth, which is arguably the least religious city in the world at the time. Okay? So he goes to Corinth. And if you've ever been to Sunday school or heard a sermon on Corinth, you know that Corinth, if appropriately titled, would be named Sin City. Okay, Corinth is a place, unlike most cities, where it is just overwhelmingly rampant with sin. But what's really interesting about Corinth, and why I'm very excited to talk about it this morning, is because Corinth 
is a capital city. Corinth is a capital city, just like the city that we live in. And there's something incredibly significant that we can learn from Paul about what ministry looks like in a capital city. And this is what I think Paul has his finger on here as he's writing. Paul knows, or I'm sorry, Luke's writing, but as Paul is is working through Acts, Paul knows that out of the capital flows laws, direction, guidance, and morals for the rest of the surrounding land. And Paul knows that if you could get the gospel to grab a hold of the heart of the capital city, Tallahassee, for example, if the gospel grabbed a hold of the heart of Tallahassee, it wouldn't just impact Tallahassee, it would impact the rest of Florida. And if the gospel could grab a hold of the heart of Florida, it wouldn't just impact Florida, it would impact the United States. And if the gospel got a hold of the heart of the United States, it wouldn't just impact our country, it would impact the nations. And Paul understands that. If you reach the capital, you reach the world. And so it's in this city that we begin. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. Athens, the city of idol worship and deep thought versus Corinth, the capital city where paganism and sexual sin and politics abound. This is what we see. It says, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Paul came to them, and I love this here. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks that Jesus is the Messiah. And what we're seeing here, in this passage, might not look like much, but the, the message that is being conveyed is that ministry in a capital city happens on all fronts. Ministry in a capital city happens at all fronts. Paul here is leveraging his talents and his abilities and his hobbies for the sake of the gospel. You see that he's a tent maker. He meets other tent makers, stays in this city working with them so that he can evangelize in the Sabbath every week. And and what I love when we read Acts, what I love that we see is we get different pictures and different angles of what faithfulness looks like everywhere in the book of Acts. We don't just read about pastors preaching the gospel in the streets. We read about tax collectors and tent makers and people with normal, everyday, nine-to-fives preaching the gospel in the streets. Being faithful to the Great Commission, what we're seeing is a multi-layered, multi-faced approach from every believer that God has in the city trying to reach the heart of the city with the gospel. That's what we're seeing. And I truly believe that the gospel only takes over a city when the Christians in the city realize that not every person is called to be a pastor, but every person is called to be a preacher. Not every person is called to be a pastor, but every single person is called to be a preacher. If you have ever wondered what is God's calling on your life, uh, I have it for you this morning. Uh, If you have ever wondered what God's calling on your life is, your calling, if you are a Christian, is to be an ambassador of the good news of Jesus Christ to the people in your life. God wants for you to be a preacher of the gospel wherever you are. 
wherever he's put you. Simple faithfulness to the gospel, wherever you are. What does that mean? That means that in Tallahassee, we need tent makers preaching the gospel. It means that we need students preaching the gospel. It means that we need lawmakers preaching the gospel. We need teachers preaching the gospel. We need businessmen and women preaching the gospel. We need stay-at-home moms preaching the gospel. We need the Christians in Tallahassee to see it as their primary occupation. Before I am anything, I am an ambassador of my Savior. That's what we need. And that's what we're seeing in Acts, is that ministry is an all-hands-on-deck thing. And in the city that we live in, here in Tallahassee, there is a monumental opportunity for us to get Christ to the nations, and it starts on our doorstep. And we must be faithful here first, where God has placed us. Meaning wherever you are, whether you're a student, you're part-time, full-time, you're unemployed, you ask yourself this question, how can I leverage my life in such a way that the gospel becomes the loudest message echoing out of Tallahassee? How can I leverage my life every day so that because of my efforts, the gospel echoes out of Tallahassee? Because here's the reality. People in this, in this city likely think the greatest issue in our city right now is that we are too conservative or too liberal, but the reality is the greatest issue plaguing this city isn't that we're conservative or liberal, it's that the city is dead and it needs life. The greatest issue isn't a political issue, it's a spiritual issue. And Paul, who was a tent maker by trade, knew that his primary occupation in this capital city of Corinth wasn't tent maker, it was Christian. And we can learn from Paul in this way about how we're living here in Tallahassee today. Look, look at verse five. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word. I love that. And he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul devotes himself to preaching the word. He's, he's working as a tent maker so that he can stay in the town, and outside of that, he has devoted himself to the preaching of the word. And, and I think that Paul's giving us a good example here of we have no message for this city other than that Jesus is the Messiah. He gives us the message in four words. Jesus is the Messiah. And, and this is more than just a spiritual message, this is a political message as well. Jesus, or Paul is saying here in this capital city that beyond every ounce of authority, there is a higher authority. Outside the bounds of every law that is passed, there is the law. Outside of every judge, there is the judge. Outside of every king, there is the king. And Paul is saying specifically for the Jews, he wants them to see that their long-awaited Messiah, who was prophesied through the whole Old Testament to come into the world, rescue Israel from her sins once and for all, who would reconcile and make peace with God again, who would tear the curtain in two and say, God's presence is open for anyone to come and trust in him. Paul is saying the only way this is available 
to find peace, life, rest, joy, and forgiveness is in Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. And what I want you to understand is that at the end of the day, this is the same message that we have. In fact, it's the only message that we have. If City Church only had one sentence left to say, if we had one breath in our lungs, if we could broadcast one message for all eternity to the watching world, it would be Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is King. And I think when we read Paul, we have a tendency to be discouraged because we think it just works every time for him. He just always has success in ministry. And that's why I like that they include verse 6 here. Look at verse 6. The people he's preaching to, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is a strong reaction from Paul. Paul would have been one whose passion could often be mistaken for anger. And I think reading this, you can come away that he is primarily angry. But I want to reason with you that he's actually more than angry, that he's heartbroken. And I want to show you that he's actually modeling an emotion of Jesus. Let's look at Mark chapter 3. Jesus is dealing with Pharisaical Jews. So like really rigorous law-following Jews. And this is what Jesus says, or this is what Mark says about Jesus. After looking at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Now, I want you to see the, the similarity here. This passage takes place when Jesus is about to heal a man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisaical Jews who worshipped the law, they thought good deeds following the law was going to save them. They are missing the fact that their very own Messiah is standing in their midst. He is standing in front of them physically, the God of the universe, and they are missing it. And Jesus, look at what it says. Look at Mark 3 again. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved. This is more than anger. This is a loving, compassionate, heartbroken anger. And he's angry not at them, he's angry for them because they are missing that the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, the life is right in front of them and they are missing it. It says in John 5 that, that Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees and he says, you pour yourselves over these scriptures. You study these scriptures all day. You study this law. And he says, and what you don't realize is that this book is about me and you will not come to me to have life. So that's Jesus in Mark 3, 5. Now let's look at Paul. Paul is standing before Jews He's as passionate as ever for these Jews to understand the gospel. And the reason why Paul is shaking out his cloak, your blood is on your own heads, why he's so deathly passionate about this gospel message is because he understands that at the end of the day, believing the gospel isn't about being a part of church or not. Believing the gospel or not believing it is a life and death issue. Believing the gospel is a life and death 
issue and the message of Jesus is eternally significant. And I'm guilty of this. It is very easy to get lost in the routine of church life. Like, I filled out my Christian checklist. Like, I go to church on Sundays, I'm in a city group, I go to an equip class, and we get so ingrained in this routine, which isn't a bad thing in and of itself. We want you to do that. We want you to be a part of the church. But what happens is we begin to almost live as if the whole purpose of sharing the gospel and inviting people is just so that they can get plugged in to church. And I want to reason with you this morning, the purpose we do the things we do here at City Church is not so that we can grow our attendance or get more people plugged into church life, though we think that's important. We do what we do because we believe that heaven and hell are real places and real people that we know are really going there. Can we let that just weigh on us for a second? Heaven and hell are real places and real people that you and I know are going there. The reason why we do this is not because we want to fill seats, but because we want dead people to come to life. We want lost people to be found. We want sinners to find forgiveness and life and joy and purpose and peace in the person and work of Jesus. That's why we strive. That's why we do what we do. Ministry in a capital city is life and death. We don't just want people to be here in more people in seats. We want sinners to be forgiven. And when City Church, the gospel lands on hardened hearts like what we're seeing here. It should break ours. It should break ours. And Paul, being a Jew himself, I mean, Paul literally says in Philippians 2, if anyone was going to be justified by the law, it was him. He's like, I'm him. I'm that guy. If anyone was going to be justified by the law, it's me. And guess what? I take all of my accolades and I throw them out because they're nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Paul, being a Jew himself, tells the Jews a scandalous idea. I'm going to take, if you Jews won't believe this message, that your own God is giving you for salvation. I'm going to take this message, and I'm going to bring it to the Gentiles who you Jews think are disgusting. And then he says, you've been warned. The reason he shakes his cloak is because he doesn't want a speck of dust from this synagogue on his cloak. He has completely said, I've warned you, your guilt is not on me, your blood is not on me, you have been told the message. So for us, we have to fight in our hearts every day, wrestling with the weight of what our time here in Tallahassee means. Whether you are going to be here for four years for school, whether you're going to be here for 40 years, whether you've been here your whole life, whether this is your first week here, you have to wrestle. What does it mean that you are here in Tallahassee? And what does it mean for the gospel that you are here in Tallahassee? And we must fight to clear our own consciences to make sure that the blood of the people around us is not on our own hands. And I think that actually reminds me of this Charles Spurgeon quote. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, you're about to find out what he's all about. It says this, if sinners be damned, meaning if sinners are going to go to hell, 
At least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them, begging them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Meaning, if people are going to go to hell, we need to do everything we can to make that incredibly difficult for them. Wrapping our arms around them, don't go, don't go. Trust in Christ, trust in Christ. There is a better way, there is life, there is hope. We must fight for the heart of this city. And that doesn't just happen from this stage. We must see it as a church-wide, Christian-wide calling from God to get the gospel to the nations. And that starts in this capital city. Everyday faithfulness to the gospel, wherever God has placed you, can have eternal implications. Don't you dare for a second think that because you, you work a part-time job or you're new here, or, or don't, don't think that where God has you is insignificant. It's not. God has you right where you are for your purpose to fulfill the Great Commission. Your job is not meaningless. What you're doing is not meaningless. There are people around you that you can be a witness and example of Christ to every single day. And don't for a second underestimate what God can do with simple daily obedience. I think there's too much pressure on us to be this world-shaking, world-changing, eternity-altering Christian. The reality is God's not asking us to be successful. He's asking us to be faithful. He's not asking us to go rock and convert everybody in your classrooms. He's asking you to just be faithful. Answer the question, how can I leverage my life so that the gospel message echoes louder than any other message in this city? And I think we have a tendency to just focus on the hardened hearts that don't hear the gospel and we can miss what happens next. Look at verse seven. Paul left there, went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, I love this, whose house was next door. Like he leaves the synagogue, shakes his cloak out, goes next door. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Whoa, that's crazy. He just left the synagogue where the Jews are, are, are blaspheming and rejecting his message, he goes next door to the leader of the synagogue's house and the leader of the synagogue becomes a Christian and his whole household becomes a Christian. In fact, many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. This gets me unbelievably amped up because it's not just more people in a church in Corinth, it's eternities changed. It's souls in heaven with Christ forever, rescued from sin. And what I love the most is what we're seeing happening here is what is happening here in Tallahassee, in our capital city. We, we have baptized 90 people in the last 10 months. Like, we are not preaching a different message. We haven't gone about it in a different way. We are preaching the same message with the same hope, with the same passion, and we're seeing the same results because it's the same God in the center. It's the same God at the root. It's easy to feel disconnected from the brothers and sisters we read about in the Bible and think, well, that was a really long time ago. 
Paul was doing what we are doing here. And we're seeing God continue to bring fruit the way he did in Corinth here in Tallahassee. That should encourage us to go, I can be a part of this. I can be a part of what God is doing in this city, rescuing souls for his glory. That should make us want to keep going. I'm going I'm to bear down even more now. And I think it's an encouragement for us. However, we do see that it's difficult. In verses 9 and 10, Paul actually lets us in that he's struggling and doubting a little bit. Look what it says. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking. And don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. No doubt, City Church, we can be comforted in the troubles and difficulties we face as Christians in this city, because we see Paul, the greatest missionary ever, being burdened. One commentator says this about Paul's time here compared to Athens. He says, Paul had experienced culture shock in Athens. He sees all these idols. He has no idea what to do. Now he's experiencing moral shock in Corinth. It's sweat and perfume and grit smothered Paul's righteous soul, and he became depressed. You are not weird or odd if you find your soul being dampened by the darkness in the city, whether it's from where you work or where you go to school. You're not judgmental if your soul is downcast when you survey the land and see what's happening in our world. In fact, I would argue that's the spirit in you. But we should be encouraged, even though this promise isn't the exact promise we get, because that's not how reading the Bible works, we're not Paul and this isn't Corinth. This promise is for Paul in Corinth in this context. But we should still be encouraged that God has people in this city. I mean, look around. God has people in this room. God is with us in this effort to see Christ be made famous in Tallahassee. To see Christ be glorified in this city. And from here, we see a very interesting story. Paul is captured by the Jews from this specific synagogue and brought before a court of law and they accuse him before the judge of teaching people to break the law in the worship of Jesus. And I love this. The judge basically says, we don't make decisions on religious matters. He says, you guys are going to have to work this out on your own. This is huge for Christianity in Corinth. Okay, this is literally freedom of religion right here. He's saying, hey, if this was a serious crime, we would do something. These are your laws that he's breaking. We're not getting involved. And the Jews freak out. They go and grab the leader of the synagogue, Sosthenes, drag him into the courtroom and beat him in front of the judge because Sosthenes didn't go far enough with them in the accusations of Paul. And what I love, you can fact check me on this, if you go to 1 Corinthians, verse 1, Paul is greeting the church church of Christians, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to my beloved brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes, the second Jewish synagogue leader, so Crispus was the first one, he becomes a Christian, obviously not the synagogue of the Jews anymore, uh, he leaves, Sosthenes comes in, doesn't persecute Paul far enough, his own Jewish law-abiding brothers beat him closer to Jesus 
because Paul comes in and shares the gospel. And Sosthenes, in his own synagogue, God calls him to himself. And what we see from this is a very simple, uh, very simple takeaway that all of us know to be true, is that the world is harsh. Christ is gentle. Someone needs to hear that today. The world is harsh. Christ is not. Christ is gentle. And, and something that I think we need to be encouraged by, the people around us who do not know Jesus, they're not searching for him, but they are longing for him. They are not looking for Jesus, but they need him. Because every day, the world is failing them. The world is longing for a source that will last. The world is longing for a well that won't run dry. They're longing for something permanent that will fill this void that they have in their hearts. And everything the world is offering up is failing. They're being beaten by the world. And we have the hope of Christ. It's all hands on deck. We have to be vocal about our hope. If we want to see Tallahassee reach for the gospel, it is going to take everyone who calls Christ Lord. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head at, I'm not even going to try, uh, because of a vow he had taken. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue. I love this guy. He's relentless. He debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined. But he said, farewell, and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. This is a very interesting detail. This doesn't seem like the Paul we know. Because Paul wouldn't do this. It seems like Paul would stay and want to share the gospel more and see these people converted. And what this is showing us is two things. One, Paul knows He's not the only Christian in this city, and he's not the only person capable of leading these people to the Lord. I think we have this celebrity culture of misconception in the church at large that, like, if I could just get the pastor to answer this question for me, he would just give me the most spiritual, theological answer ever. And the reality is, there's 300 people in this church that you could ask a question to. And they're going to give you a spiritual, theological, Christ-glorifying answer that's going to help you. And what Paul is modeling for us is it doesn't have to be him. There are people in Ephesus. Paul is going to another place on a missionary journey. And what we're seeing by Paul's tenacity to go to lost people is that he truly is God's man. He is no longer himself. What I mean by that is this. Everything that he does, everything that he says, every action he takes, he, he is... He has become captive to Jesus. And that sounds bad, but that's not bad. He has become enslaved to Christ. He is not his own man anymore. The man who was once the man of the Jewish religion has lost himself and found Christ. And because of his willingness to lose his life for the sake of Jesus being made famous, he is gaining more life than you could ever imagine. And for us, in 2023, this is where following Jesus begins to get uncomfortable. In 2023, and I'm guilty of this as well, we want to put Jesus in a safe, comfortable part of our life. We want to follow Jesus. We'll let him have control of the things that are scary, maybe our future, definitely our past sins. But like, 
We'll keep Jesus at a distance because we know that following Jesus for real is going to cost us. Following Jesus for real is going to cost us. And what we've done is we've said following Jesus means fixing your life or rearranging your life or changing your life. Following Jesus means losing your life and getting a new life. And that new life is not yours. It's his And this might sound backwards, but that is the answer to the truest life that there is. And Paul's modeling that for us. Galatians 2.20, these are his own words. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's so much we can learn for our lives in Tallahassee from Acts 18. And I want to be the first to say, City Church, I am not good at this. I want what I want. I want to prioritize my comfort. I want to prioritize my safety, my security. I don't want to have awkward conversations. If you've ever met me, I I get more secondhand embarrassment than anyone. Okay, I don't want to have awkward conversations. I don't want to have hard conversations. I don't want to make people angry at me, right? But at the same time, I want to be faithful to Jesus. And what I'm realizing is something is going to have to give. Either my faith in Christ is going to have to submit to my desires or my desires are going to have to submit to the king. Something's going to have to give. And if we want to reach Tallahassee for the gospel with the life-changing news that Christ is Lord and that he does save sinners and that he is alive today, then we need to learn from Paul what it means to lay down our lives every day. From here, there's not really a transition into the next part of this text, so there's no transition here either. Uh, Acts 24 says this. Now a Jew named Apollos a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He's been instructed in the way of the Lord. I love this. He's fervent in spirit. It means he's passionate. He's on fire. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he only knew John's baptism. So basically, we have a young believer in Apollos, on fire for the Lord, loves Jesus, is sharing the news of his death and resurrection, but his theology is a little off. He's teaching John the Baptist's baptism, which takes place before the crucifixion, okay? He's teaching the baptism of repentance, like a Jewish ritual washing, okay? There's a new baptism now. After someone's been saved on this side of the cross, their their heart is transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Spirit. And then they symbolize what has happened in their heart through baptism like we do here on Sundays, right? He doesn't teach that baptism, So what happens? Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After, look at those names, we've seen them before. Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, I love this, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. They sent a letter ahead of him saying, this guy's legit, take him in, he's great, okay? After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So, I have three takeaways from this specific text about Apollos that I want us to see. The first is this. Apollos shows us that you do not have to have perfect theology to be used by God. Apollos was wrong about baptism. 
the baptism in which people needed to be baptized after trusting in Jesus, but God still used him. It's in God's own word that he was accurately teaching about Jesus to everyone. Like, there's this idea here where he, yes, he's wrong about baptism, but he's right about the essentials of the cross and the resurrection. And God is using him because he's being faithful. He might not have perfect theology. In fact, no one in this room, no one who has ever preached on this stage has perfect theology, right? You do not have to have this perfect expertise theology to be used by God. So many people are are so afraid to talk about Jesus because like, what if I say something wrong? If you can tell somebody they have sinned just like we have and Jesus is the only way, trusting in him, he rose from the grave after being crucified, like, You can do it. You can be faithful, right? That's an encouragement to you and a spurring on. Like, you don't need to be a theologian or an expert, you know, PhD candidate in the New Testament to be used by God. Okay? Number two, we can always grow in our theology, and we should seek to do so. Apollos was approached by Priscilla and Aquila, and they were patient with him and careful with him as they taught him where he was wrong and about what God's design for Christians is to do. Now, in a day and age where many Christians want to rule out someone, uh, someone's theological legitimacy or, or their, even their faith because of theological disagreements they might have, Aquila and Priscilla model a better way. An honest, person-to-person approach to help someone better minister the truth rather than a canceling or a stone-throwing at a brother or sister. And as you can tell, Apollos is a young believer who's very passionate. And if Aquila and Priscilla handled this differently, they could have snuffed out his flame. They could have snuffed out his flame. Instead, they fanned it through encouragement and teaching. And that matters. And the third thing, we must not lose our passion for the gospel as we gain theological knowledge. This is a real thing. Apollos, after learning more from Priscilla and Aquila, what do we see as his response after his theological growth? Look at verse 28. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Apollos takes this theological growth and goes even more all in with gospel sharing. For some reason, and I am uh, guilty of this, theology has a tendency to puff people up. Theology has a way of almost hijacking our heart to make us think the end goal of knowing about God is to just know things about him so that we can feel good about ourselves, uh, that we know things. But the reality is this, and this is where I'm closing. The goal of theology isn't knowledge. The goal of theology is closeness with God. And the closer you get to God, the closer you will find yourselves to lost people and mission because our God's heart is the heart that leaves the 99 for the one. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. God, that when we were far from you and we had disobeyed you and we have sinned against you, God, and you could have justly destroyed us, you didn't. You sent your own son to us to live the perfect life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, and then rose from the grave offering us life. God, I pray that we would see that there is no message more important or urgent than that. And that, God, our hearts should break out of a righteous anger and love for our lost brothers and sisters as we seek to minister that truth. Not as, a, as, as one person from a church, but, God, as, as an army of believers in this city that you have put here for the sake of turning Tallahassee into a gospel hub. So, God, I ask that you would allow us to be faithful and give us fruit for our efforts. 
God, we thank you for how you've modeled this for us in Paul by sending him, God, and, and working in his life so that we might learn from it. God, I pray that we would just have such a heart, like Apollos, a fervent spirit to see the gospel go out to this city and to the nations. We ask it would start here in our hearts. To your name we pray, amen.